Father, give us ears to hear. Father, eyes to see. Souls that are receptive. Father, understanding that we are to pursue love. We should be overwhelmed by the love that you've poured in our hearts that a person of your spirit. Father, help us to see here. Help us not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Help us to drink deep of the wisdom of the ages, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, help us to rest full weight. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. And for, Lord, I just beg you this day, teach us. Teach us. To your glory and praise. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14, 20-25, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By the men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together, all speaks in tongues, and ungifted or unbelievers enter in, will they not say you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters... He is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, so that he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God's certainly among you. What we're looking at in chapter 14 is that the Apostle Paul is dealing with some confusion. He starts out in chapter 12, verse 1, that I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. All right? But then he concludes chapter 13. I want to show you a better way. Chapter, then he has chapter 13 is, the better way is love. Chapter 14, he starts it out, therefore pursue love. But he gives a delineation. And what we looked at in verses 1 through 19 of chapter 14 is what was the importance of the gift of tongues. And we've seen biblically that the gift of tongues in its importance is a secondary gift. It is not that important. All right? He even tells you there that we should, especially you prophesy, seek that one earnestly be after prophecy. Uh, Paul writing the church in Thessalonica says, do not despise prophetic utterances. That should be something that the church longs for. And it's fascinating because I've talked to a number of different men, some professors in seminaries and some other pastors, and they said that the church in America today is moving away from men with the prophetic gifts. They believe that the men with prophetic gifts all right, we're for the foundational church, and what you want to do to really grow a church now is you want somebody with exhortation and encouragement, and they'll come along. And it's funny because I keep thinking, well, you haven't read your Bible. Because the Bible says that I should seek out prophecy, those with the gift of prophecy. All right, so. We looked at the importance of tongues, and now we're moving in. What was its intent? 
Well, why did God give this tongue? I, I get asked this a lot. They say, well, do you believe in the gift of tongues? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Paul believed in the gift of tongues. I'm thinking that if Paul believed it, it works for me. Well, but you no. what was the intent? What was the intent? We already looked at chapter 13. It says that prophecy and knowledge would sometime pass away. But it says that tongues would cease. And it's a different verb. And it's used to describe if something caused it to stop. All right. Why did it, did it stop? What was its intent? Because if I understand what its intent was, then understanding if it stopped or it didn't stop or whatever it's supposed to be doing should be really clear. Any gift. It's like the gift of prophecy. Most people today, if you ask them about the gift of prophecy, they're going to say that it has to do with predicting the future. That is not what the word means. And it wasn't even until the 1300s that we even hung that on the word. Prophecy prophetes pro before taste speak speak before when you have a, a a politician literally stands up before the people he is doing what he's prophesying all right and some of them are promising you the future but we won't go into that one all right but do you understand that it means to speak before that's all the word means I, 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 it is like I did prophets of the Old Testament. Yes. Yes. But let's be realistic. Are you going to base a man's prophetic utterance on a future event that will be 2000 years before his? How do you know if it came true? It's, it's like global warming. How do you? It sure doesn't look like it, does it? But anyway, how do you know it comes true? You'll be dead. They said, well, you know, 150 years, you'll see. No, I won't. Okay? Not only that, I've read the end of my Bible. God does some serious warming. Okay? And, and you know, he's going to be running them Greenpeace guys are going crazy. All right? But you see what I'm trying to get at? We, we have this in our mind that these prophets... Listen, if a, prophecy made a, if a prophet made a prediction to validate his testimony, it had to be something that's going to happen right away. Or everybody's going to be saying, well... That means 150 years we'll know whether he lied to us or not? Nah, that ain't how it works. All right. So when you look at this stuff, we have to understand when you, when you speak of a gift, whether it's the gift of prophecy or whether it's the gift of languages, what was its intent? What was its intent? And one of the things that you see right there, verse 22, so tongues is what? It's a sign. It's a sign. That's not hard. I mean, what was its intent? It was to be a sign. But we've looked at it in depth that it was a sign of cursing. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the upper room disciples, they all began speaking in languages, and Jews that were in that room had the ability to understand the language that was being preached. And we, he quotes Isaiah because of Isaiah, and you, we've seen it in Deuteronomy, we've seen it in Jeremiah, that in all three texts it says that I will bring judgment upon, upon the house of Israel, and you will know that it is me doing it because it will be from foreigners. 
And we see that with the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians. You go all the way down the line, you see it all over. But at the same time, we looked at last week that it is a sign of blessing. We looked at Romans chapter 9, verses 22 through 24, and Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through, uh, or 11 through 15. And we've seen that because there was that partial hardening, that partial setting away of the rejection of Israel, that the good news came to the Gentiles. The good news came to the Gentiles. Please hear me well on that. The good news came to the Gentiles. Uh, you guys are looking at Jonah on, on uh, at Sunday school hour. Um, what Jonah was preaching is not good news. Okay? Uh, Jonah was preaching bad news. All right? And, and, and I get people saying, well, that means we should go out and evangelize. Well, we need to go out and evangelize, but Jonah isn't proof of it. Okay? Jonah is proof of what? That the church is going to be for everybody. All right? That's, I don't understand any way. We won't go into that. That's a whole different message. All right, now listen. Here's the other thing is, it's a sign of authority. All right? We've looked at it and we've seen that because of the gift of tongues bringing judgment, God's wrath against Israel... And now it would be a sign of blessing to Gentiles. Then you need to understand that it was used to authenticate the person who was preaching. All right. Who were the great messengers? Who preached this transition, this mystery? Who were the men of God who spoke of this curse against Israel and judgment and yet spoke at the same time with the same words, blessings? It was the apostles and prophets, that first generation out of the gate. God gave the apostles and prophets the ability to speak these languages as an authentication of what they were doing, what they were saying is true. To the Jewish mind, this is shocking. God is going to do what? Set you aside. Um, Not only would it be shocking, it would be unbelievable. So they looked for a sign. God would do this? God would give this ability to speak these languages? Absolutely. Look at chapter uh, 14, verse 18. I thank God... What? I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul says, I do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it says that I came as an apostle with signs and wonders. It, it validated that I was a sent messenger. Listen, when you think about the word apostle, okay, you'll see apostle and then you'll see the apostle. Right? If it has a definite article on it, you're looking at an office. Okay, The office of the apostle in every single case, the resurrected Christ said, I am sending you out. The resurrected Christ. Now listen, you can look at the word apostle and it literally it just means messenger. All right, when I go teach in Russia, I am being sent out by who? This body of believers. This body of believers says, we're sending you and I'm teaching whatever it is I'm teaching. But the resurrected Christ has not shown up to me and said, you're my messenger. 
All right. And that delineates the office of apostle and the fact that if you're saved today, you have a message. Every single one of you having a message. Don't get a big head and I'm an apostle. Okay. Because there's a whole bunch of us. All right. And you ain't special. All right. I just want you. I just want to make that as clear as I can make it. Don't I'm, I'm an apostle. All right. But you ain't the apostle. All right. We got that all cleared up. All right. He says that tongues has a unique purpose. All right. It's not your private devotion. All right. Remember chapter 14. It's on the edification of the saints or the edification of the saints or the edification of the saints. So there's nothing private about it. All right. Uh, it's not for evangelism. All right. The, the event had come to Jerusalem. At Jerusalem, at Pentecost, the transition was made. The church was born and there was a sign. And when the sign was done, there's no more use to it. Listen, when I think about a sign, this, maybe I'm too simple or I'd try to keep it simple or whatever. When you think about a sign, all right, what do you think about? All right, when I think about a sign, I think about driving down the interstate and it says Denver is 100 miles. Isn't that a sign? Denver is 50 miles. Denver is 10 miles. Now, then the next thing you know, guess what? You're in Denver. All right, now when you leave Denver, it doesn't say you are five miles out of Denver. Does it? When you're driving around, you're not looking for the sign after the event. Okay? So if tongues is a sign, then it will be necessary up to the event. All right, what was the event? Destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD. I don't need a sign that says we are now 2,000 years outside of the destruction of Jerusalem. I don't need that sign. Why? It's behind me. I've already been through it. Okay? I do not need somebody to stand up, start speaking in Medo-Persian to tell me that Israel is under judgment. I kind of figured that out. Do you see that? I mean, I, I try to make it simple. And when you're cruising down the road, you're not, well, I'm 12 miles out of Denver. That must have been like Denver back there. Um, <laughs> tongues is a sign. It points to something. All right? Understand that it was a curse that came. The primary gift of tongues, the primary use for the gift was to bring and to tell Israel, you're under God's judgment. Okay? Um Listen, I don't have an axe to grind. Please, I don't want you to run out of here and think that I'm trying to beat up charismatics or anything like that. I'm just trying to say that in, if, you know, and I brought this up in our prayer time on Thursday morning, that you know what? Why? I mean, this is all room full of pastors. Why is your congregation ignorant about spiritual gifts? Why? 
I was like floating a lead balloon. But anyway, I, I had about the same response from them. When do we get the donuts? All right, but do you understand that? But I want to show you something. Back to your text, chapter 14, verse 22. Tongues, so then tongues are a sign. Now look, who are they a sign for? Anybody that has a congregation that is exercising the gift of tongues is saying one thing and one thing only. My congregation ain't saved. And in some cases, they may be right. But, but do you understand that? that? Do you see that in that text? I mean, I don't care what your translation is. You don't have to be a theologian and have your PhD in something to say, you know what? It is a sign, and it's not for those who believe, but it's for unbelievers. Okay, chapter 14 is saying, I want you to edify the saints, which means... Tongues is useless. All right? Then look what he says. But prophecy is for a sign not to the unbelievers, but to those who believe. Now, be real careful here. All right? If your Bible says, is for a sign after prophecy, is it in italics? What does it mean if it's in italics? It's not in the Greek text. All right. So if you truly read this correctly, prophecy is not for unbelievers, but to those who believe. Let me tell you something. Ace, which is the word we get signed from, okay, means that it has an intent. It has a, a, a purpose, okay, that is outside of itself. The text should read that prophecy is of itself a purpose. It is not a Sign. Okay? So you can just scratch that out of your Bible. Well, it's, listen, it's italics. Don't run out of here and think I'm a heretic. It's in italics. It doesn't need to be in there. It's not a sign. Okay? It's for believing people through all the years of the church age. What is? Prophecy. All right? Uh, it is not pointing to something. All right, a sign is what? You're getting ready to enter Denver. It's pointing to something. Um, prophecy is something in itself. It is a thing that in chapter 14, verse 3, that will edify, it will exhort, it will console. Verse 4 says it will edify the church. Verse 1 says seek to proclaim the word of God. Seek to stand before and speak the word of God. Listen, if you were to go into the Corinthian church, you would hear this hysterical, self-centered, ego-building ego building confusion. And it didn't have any point in it. Paul says, stop it. Stop it. See, here's the thing about tongues. It had a specific purpose for a specific time to accomplish a specific thing. All right? But, Paul says, when you meet together, you should what? Prophesy, proclaim the truth. It is far more interesting. You know what? Here's the amazing thing that I just quickly. 
we have absolutely no record in the Bible of anything ever said by anybody in tongues. That's fascinating. But you really think about it. Why isn't there anything in there? Because it was a sign that was meant to pass away. Therefore, there's no need of it. Has no lasting value. Do you understand that even in its revelatory value, it has no lasting value? Yet, on the other hand, let me give you a text. This text here, you really need to know this text. I guarantee you think I'm kidding you. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Every Christian should know this text. All right? I tell people that there's only one thing I can find in Scripture that I am to grow in. Faith. Okay, but I want to show you something here. Beginning in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what he says next. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Okay, now who's writing this? All right, now he goes to a specific point. For we received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, what's he referring to? Mount Transfiguration. Peter says, I was hanging out on the Mount of Transfiguration, minding my own business. Behaving myself, being a good little Jewish fisherman who wasn't catching a lot of fish up on the mountainside. And he pulled back the veil of his humanity, showed us the glory of God. And I'm just standing there. Then there's Moses and Elijah with him. And I'm just standing there. And all of a sudden, the heavens speak. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And I'm just standing there. And when he got done, I said, we should build an altar here and we'll just stay. Okay. Now, listen, that is an experience. I mean, that there is one of them. Whoa. Okay. Do you understand that? He says, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay. Do you see what he just said there? Read the next verse. The next verse says, we have the prophetic word made more sure. You know what he just said there? Why would I want prophecy? Because prophecy is more important than any experience. Even when you're standing on the mountainside and you start hearing the heavens speaking. That's what Peter said. There's no comparison between something that is a 
sign as something that is reality. That's Hebrews 8, 5, by the way. Do you understand that? I see people scurrying around today wanting a sign, despising prophecy. And Peter says, you know what? I cling more to the word preached than even the fact that I was there and seen his glory and his majesty and heard God the Father's voice speak that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's amazing to me. That is amazing to me. So tongues is assigned to an unbelieving Jew and it was attached to a point, a certain point in redemptive history and it was served well. It was to show that Christianity was not Jewish, but it was a worldwide thing. And it authenticated the speaker. It authenticated the messenger who brought it to the men. And it served to show Israel that they had again rejected God. Okay? So let me ask you a question. What's the purpose of tongues today? Let me tell you something. If tongues is around, it has the same purpose. Got it? And I don't see no purpose. What point would there be in signifying today that God is moving away from Israel to open the gospel to all nations? I mean, I could just look at you and go, duh. Well, that's very obvious. Does it seem fairly clear? See, the purpose now relates to the assembly. Now go back. I want to show you something. This is so fun. (laughs) In the right groups. Okay. Prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And then look what he says in verse 23. First word. Therefore. Therefore, what? Based on what I have said. Based on the fact that it is a sign of cursing, based on the fact that it is a sign of blessing, based on the fact that it is a sign of authority, because of its intent, I have laid out, this was the intent for the gift of tongues. Based on that, based on what I have said. Look what he says. When, what does it say? When the small groups gather. Is that what it says? No. When the whole church comes together. When the whole church comes together. And all speak in tongues, ungifted or unbelievers enter. Will they not say? You are no different than the temple of Diana. You look just like every pagan temple that I have been in. Or you're mad. You ever thought about it? I think it's I think it's maddening. Think about it. I mean, use Isaiah's illustration. He says, man goes and cuts the tree down. Half of it he cooks his food, and the other half he makes an idol and says, save me. That's what Isaiah said. He says, these people who make idols are idiots. 
And I mean, but think about what we do. Well, okay. You know, I cook my food and I worship the other one. Well, what if you got the wrong half? You just burn up your God. (laughs) If he's a Gentile, he doesn't understand. If he's Jewish, he doesn't understand because everybody's doing it. It don't make no sense. In Acts chapter 2 that everybody likes to say, well, see, there's the tongues. When somebody was, when they used it, they had somebody there who would understand it. If I preach to you the gospel of salvation in Russian today, what good would it do you? Nothing. You would think I was mad. He's crazy as a loon. Some think that anyway. He says in verse 27 of this text, if anyone speaks in a language... It should be by two or three at most. And it says, and each in turn. And then what does it say? One must interpret. All right. Why? It doesn't need to be this ecstatic thing. It doesn't need to be this frenzy. Okay. An unbelieving Gentile will go and say, there's no difference between this and the pagan temples that I've been in across the country. And the Jew says there's so much chaos here, there's absolutely no meaning to it. And that's what he's saying to us right here. When the whole church comes together and all speaks in tongue, the ungifted, the unbeliever enters. Will he say you're mad? You're crazy. You look just like all the other pagan worship. All right. Then look what it says in verse 24. But if all prophesy, again, proclaim before. But if all, if you look at Peter, what I gave you out of 2 Peter, what's more important? The proclamation of God's truth. There's nothing greater. You can stand on the Mount of Transfiguration and it will not hold a candle to the proclamation of the word of truth. Wow. Okay. Why? You know why? Now listen, I want you to get a hold of this. This is crucial. Why is this such a big deal? Look what it says. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, what happens? He will be convicted. See, the tongues can't do that. A language can't do that. Either at a church or in group-wise or individually. Can't do it. Now watch the sequence that you see here. He will be convicted by all. Okay, the all there would be in reference to all who are prophesying. Who are speaking forth what? The truth of God. Okay, the unbeliever or the ungifted... All right. Will be convicted by all and he will be called New American Standard translates it into account or some will say uh, judged. By who? By all who are doing what? All right. They're going to be convicted. Why? They're going to feel guilt. Then they will be judged by the verdict and it will render them to feel guilty. Why? Because they are guilty before a holy God. Period. 
You know, I hear people say, well, you know, I'm not here to judge. You know what? I ain't either. But you know what? This will. Do not ever kid yourself. You bring this book and this book will judge. Please understand, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And when you preach, unbelievers are convicted and judged instantaneously by the same text. So do you see why it is more important? Do you see why there is an urgency for preaching? You can have Jesus. Listen, Nicodemus came to Jesus and says, we believe you are of God. Why? Look at what you're doing. Did it save him? You know what saved him? Preaching of the gospel. You can't even repent without the preaching of the gospel. When I hear people saying, well, you know, it just depends. No, you can't get there without the preaching of the good news. You will not be saved. I, you know, I, well, but you know, I've always kind of thought that. No, you haven't. None seek after God. No, not one, even if you think you are. I got to throw a book at me once for saying that. I said, don't worry about it, Sasha. Mark that out of your Bible. Well, I've always looked for God. According to this, you never looked for God. Well, I always have. And he did something. I said, just mark it out of your Bible then. Don't act like it's in there. I know how to make friends, don't I? <laughs> Listen, when you preach the word, okay? When you preach the word, it says there, look at verse 25. The secrets of his heart are made manifest, are disclosed. It's unmasked. You know what happens? Their sin becomes apparent. They feel guilty. They feel sinful. I love it when people are running around getting saved and they don't even know what they're being saved from. What would you get saved from? The Democratic Party. No! You got saved from you! Way worse than the Democratic Party. Then in humiliation, in a sense of self-condemnation, self-hatred, look what happens. He will fall on his face and worship God. Did you read that? What happens? When the word is preached, the heart is exposed. Guilt overwhelms them. And they fall on their face. We've read it. We've sang it. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know why? They will be standing in the presence of the Word. The Word was God. The Word is with God. And when it comes forth in the power of God, it crushes men's hearts. And as soon as it does that, it is greater than standing on the Mount of Transfiguration seeing Elijah and Moses. 
Why? It has the ability to break the human ego, crush it that they fall on their face to the ground and worship the true and living God. How does that happen? What was the experience here that took place? The preaching of the word. Do you know what what is not here? The singing of praises is not here. The singing of courses is not here. The singing of hymns is not here. It is through the preaching of the word. Well, but you have to set the mood. It doesn't say set the mood. It says preach. You know what happens when that happens? They will fall face down and worship God. And I love this last part. Declaring that God is certainly among you. Go around to the churches today and ask a person if they worship and hear what they have to say and know that they are deceived. When you hear them say that the music was fantastic, therefore I worship, that is against this text. Okay, so which is right, this text or what they're saying? Listen, ain't that what we want? When people come to your church, don't you want the people, the visitors to say, God is in that place? Okay, do you need any ideas on how to make that happen? You want to know if God has been in that place or if you have been there in the place of a certain, for certain, know that God is there. How are you going to do that? Preaching of the word. People come to see our fellowship. I think we want them to see God, right? This text ain't that tough. He contrasts tongues and preaching and which which is most important. You know what? According to Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, there's absolutely nothing on the planet more important than preaching. And I, don't get me wrong, I would like to be on the Mount of the Transfiguration and see, whoa, but I'm going to do the same thing that Peter did. Let's build an altar. <laughs> and I'm going to lay my old skinny neck on it. Okay. <laughs> well, I've been on the Mount of Transfiguration where they say it was. You know what? That's just a hillside outside of Galilee. <laughs> Well, it's right there in your big body of water. and There you go. Having a blast. Okay. Uh, I stood on Mount Ereba, which is they, a lot of people believe that's where Jesus ascended. And now that thing will freak you out. I mean, you stand over the Sea of Galilee and it had all these wildflowers out there. And you just sit there and you think, huh, hanging out here and watching him just go up. Hmm. And the angel says, what are you standing there looking up for? Well, I don't know. <laughs> My neck sort of got stuck. Okay. And I mean, that's an amazing place. You just sit there and go, whoa. All right. But it doesn't compare to the preaching of the word. Do you understand that? 
We're in a day and an age where they don't want preaching. And I hear pastors in, in seminaries and all the rest of it saying, the preacher is for the planning of the church and he needs to move on because he'll kill the church. Really? My Bible says that it will edify the church, it will exhort the church, and it will console the church. I like that because it isn't like he has my message today is for consolation. Next week I will have a message on exhortation. And the week after that I'll have a message on edification. Okay, when I preach the word, I do all three at one time and unbelievers will say, whoa. You know what? I read that verse right there. Verse 25. It says the secrets of his heart are disclosed and he will fall on his face and he will worship God declaring that God is certainly among you. What a thrilling promise to a church that exalts, exalts the proclamation of the word of God. That's one of them promise things. What is the impact? People will be saved. People will be strengthened. People will be consoled. Tongues produces confusion among the visitors. The gift is limited. It was limited for a day, for a time, and it has long since passed. So, the question that will be posed to me is, what about today? What about today? It's easy. It's Corinthian perversion. It's counterfeit at best. There's no need for it. There's no intent for it. Let us exalt the Word of God. Listen, do you understand that the Word of God is the answers to everything? Therefore, we should be devoted to truth. Food or water or the Bible? What you want? Okay. Listen, I, I remember uh, reading a story about a little French girl. And um, she was blind, okay? And yet she heard the preaching of the Bible and came to salvation. And the pastor who had preached and drew her to salvation uh, gave her a Braille Bible, okay? And she would read that Bible every day, all right? And she read it to the point that the Braille little indents and beads and all the rest of it were worn out and they got her another one. Okay? And she read that Bible every day, every day, every day. And then she started getting calluses on her fingertips from reading that Bible and and going across the Braille letters. She took a razor and she cut the calluses off her fingers so she could read it. And it all scabbed over, and then she realized that she couldn't sense anything reading of the Bible. And she began to weep bitterly. And she picked the Bible up, and she was going to kiss it goodbye, and then she realized she could sense it with her lips. And she began reading the Word of God with her lips. Does the Bible mean that much to you? Are you seeking experience or are you seeking truth?
Father, we come before your throne to hear your word. Father, may we be a people who rejoice and exalt preaching, the preaching of your truth with boldness, with confidence, and with the power of your Spirit. Father, may we hunger and thirst for your word, your righteousness, your ways. Father, may we be overwhelmed by what you would call to us and through us. Father, may we long with an unquenchable thirst for your word and it being proclaimed. Father, you have made a promise here that unbelievers, their hearts will be shattered. They will fall on their face before you and declare you are here. Father, help us to rest with that. Help us to rest with that. To your glory and praise. Amen.